Hi, and welcome to Real Clear Fetish Talks Real Clear Play, an Instagram Live slash podcast slash YouTube thing. Yeah, I haven't quite figured out what it is yet. Um, where we talk everything kinky and everything sober. Today, as it's St. Patrick's Day, we're going to Ireland to talk to my friend Michael, who lives in Ireland. So I'll add him on. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm sure I'm grand now. <laughs> well, well, welcome to welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, and happy pa- St. Patrick's Day. Oh, thank you very much. It's been totally uneventful. <laughs> but hey, it's been, uh, I, I think the parade could be best described as a truck and tractor parade. Well, that, that sounds lovely. About it. <laughs> well, let's just jump into it. I have four standard questions at the start, and then we'll just see where the conversation Ooh. goes. Um, what do you prefer I call you? Names, pronouns, and title. He and him. And name? Michael. And, and any titles? Um, I, I think we'll leave the title out. <laughs> <laughs> we might get onto that one, but that's a slightly different... Yeah, uh, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I'm retired. I, I obviously, from the accent, you can tell that uh, I obviously was born and raised in England by Irish parents. So uh, I moved over here after I retired in 2018. So that's coming up to five years. I can't believe where that's gone. Um, I worked in retail most of my life. Uh, although that said, I did train as uh, chef and um, had some a lot of really interesting experiences as a chef and um, I got to work in television catering so that means I've now got a PhD in name dropping oh we might have to get into that a little bit later on <laughs> yeah um, but that, that that's kind of interesting so um, kind of been into the fetish scene um, in a specific way. And I think you can tell what that specific way is by the colours that I'm wearing. Uh, For people listening to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast, the colour is yellow. (laughs) Well, it's all right. Okay. Um, So that kind of uh, gives you an idea of what I'm into. And... um, and I've had a lot of fun over the years doing it and uh, still enjoying it. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, completely sober, clear head, head, head ugh, can't even say it now. Completely sober, clear headed or social drinker? Totally sober. I gave up drinking uh, January the 2nd, uh, two years ago. Fantastic. So the, in when, 2021. Um, not for any particular reason other than I was sitting here during the lockdown by myself. Uh, I'd get a couple of bottles of wine with my uh, for the week and they would be gone within a couple of days because I was bored out of my head like 99.9% of the 
the world's population. Um, and it was becoming too easy, but I didn't actually think about how easy it was until I went to do my shopping one day and I was in a little bit of a hurry. So I thought, oh, I can't bother going to the office. I'll just go straight home, which I did. And the next week I happened to be, it happened to be a busy day again and I didn't get time to get the bottles of wine. And then suddenly it was a month. And, and then suddenly that I was sitting here in June and I thought, what just happened? I've just gone six months without a drink. And I thought, okay, let's challenge myself, see if I can do a year. And then I had the awful realization that I was going to Gran Canaria. And I thought, how in heaven's name am I going to do this? And then I thought of you. I thought, I cannot let Ralph down. I can't do this. Um, but you were going to be there. And I thought, with Ralph there and spending a lot of time with him, it's going to be my incentive to carry on. And I got through that two weeks with it, with you. And it was, it got to the, the end of the first year and I didn't even think twice about going back to drinking again. Just, I don't miss it. Everything is better without it. Um, and yeah, I fantastic. Well, well, well I, you, you, I've told you many a times, but people wouldn't have heard it on here. But I, you don't know how proud I am, am of you. I know it's not, it, you didn't necessarily stop out of necessity mm. or anything like that. But stopping and drinking, especially in gay drinking culture, is yeah. fucking hard. It is. Oh, by the way, you are allowed to swear on this, yeah. uh, in case you were. In doubt if you were allowed to swear or not. Well, um, I, re but I remember the, the 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 one thing you said to me. I don't know whether you we, we it was on a, a Facebook thing or what it was, but uh, or whether you actually said it to me, and you said, "I prefer the sober Michael," and that that phrase has stuck with me right the way through, and it keeps me going. Um, it's it's it's. That notion for me is, I, see, this is the funny thing. I don't, I didn't mind drinking and I, I enjoyed being drunk and so on. That was never really a part of my recovery journey. But because of childhood trauma around drunk people, I found dealing with drunk people, uh, especially when people changed slightly in character, not necessarily in a bad way, but just changed compared to how they are normally, could make me very uncomfortable. It's nothing against the person in question. You were one of the people who slightly changed in personality when you were drunk. Yeah. Not in a bad way. I, no one else would notice it. But because I had these things with me, I prefer you sober. But that's, it's more about me. It's not about you, mm. just to point that out. Um, but yeah, it's just that slight change. A little bit like, you, you know, like the pod people. Mm -hmm like invasion of the body snatchers. You just like, you feel, you feel like they're a little bit off. You just can't put your finger well, on it. That's how I sometimes feel with drunk people where I know them sober and I know them drunk. Well, I, I, the, uh, a, an incident comes to mind when I was at, um, when I was still living in Luton. Um, yes, everyone, I lived in Luton. 
<laughs> There's going to be quite a few people who don't know, don't know where that is. It's all at therapy. Anyway, um, I was down at my local pub and, you know, the great people down there, all my friends used to go there. And for whatever reason, um, I was on the gin and tonic that night. And I never used to drink gin outside. It was always uh, a drink before dinner at home. So it was very unusual. I don't know why I went on to it that evening, but I did. And I got particularly uh, drunk. And there was a, a drag queen on, um, whose name escapes me, but very, very well-known drag queen um in 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 london uh but she was on that night and um i thought to myself you know if if somebody gave her some singing lessons she could be really good but she's not using her voice properly mm. in my drunken state i actually said that to her as she got off stage her reply was, get this queen away from me. <laughs> and uh, Ronnie and Deb, who were the landladies of the pub, uh, said to me, Michael, we are never serving you gin ever again. So, yeah. So the personality traits, yes, you're absolutely right. I, I would change. I got gobby and um, no, I wasn't nice. Um, you you were never on nice to me, um, but it, it's it's it, I think it 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 does happen to a lot of people. Some people it just um, maybe just makes you a little bit extra, yeah. a little bit like if you're affectionate normally, you just get a little bit extra affection mm -hmm. and so on. But some people, not, never you, but some people when they're drunk, they get either aggressive or like you just said, gobby mm -hmm. is one that can ha happen. Um, I've, I have other friends who get really aggressive and I do not like them drunk at all. Yeah. And then I have people who are quite stoic and, and normally, but when they're drunk, they're very cuddly and feely. And that, make, that makes me so uncomfortable <laughs> when they're like that, because that is not you. This is a different person. Where have you done, what have you done with this person? Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, the last question, um, what is clear play to you and why is it important? It's important because I like to be in control of what I'm doing. And I think when, when you're um, intoxicated, be that with alcohol or with drugs, you're not in control of what you're doing. And then anything can happen to you or you might do something that you would later regret. So when it comes to play, um, even when I was drinking, if I went to a club, um, then I would just have a Diet Coke. Um, I might have had a few drinks before going in there, but when I'm in there, I would stick to the Diet Coke because I wanted to enjoy what I was doing. And when I, was, when I did have a few drinks in me, um, I didn't enjoy it as much as when I was stone cold sober. Mm. Um, the... Um, the whole sort of play aspect of it becomes much more uh, intense for me without external stimulants. 
Um, somebody once said to me about um, drugs and, and sex, and I said, well, do you know what, what, what really gives me a high? What, how I get really high? No, no, what was that? I said, a hot man. A hot man who knows what he's doing. That's what gives me a high. And that's all I've ever needed. Um, but certainly, um, without the alcohol, play is much more intense. It's much more um, satisfying. And um, yeah, even an old geezer like me can still get uh, carry. Yeah, uh, a <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you could shock anyone listening to this. I, I think we've not. gone through a, quite a few things over the over the episodes. Um, so you say you've retired to Ireland. You've um, you're from London. Um, as someone of um, a young age. <laughs> I'm trying to be polite here. Oh, don't. How how has it been like from, for example, when you started out on the gay scene in your 20s, which would, by my calculations, that was still illegal, really, being like out and no, gay no, and I'm so on. That old. <laughs> no, but it, okay. it, it only got dec when did it get decriminalized? 19. 67 or 68. Okay. okay, then you can spank me next time because I completely forgot when it was. Yes, that is, that, that is my, my calculations are not right here. Um, but no, um, so... But you're, you're, you... you are actually right because um, I came out, I was just, uh, it was shortly after my 22nd birthday um which would have been 1975 so i was out of college for a year and uh, i was then um uh working david liversage go away how dare you <laughs> well he's just pointing out when it was decriminalized yeah. it was july uh, 67 so it would have been eight years after it was decriminalized you came out yeah uh, so it was all, yeah, so that was not a big amount of time because, uh, so everything was very fresh and very new. And the way it felt back then, once I'd, um, uh, okay, just to give, give you a little bit of background, I was engaged to a woman, I, I, we were about to get married. Um, and in 1973, we went to, um, a concert at Lewisham Odeon. That concert changed my life because that was David Bowie. Wow. At the height of his Ziggy Stardust days. Um, and because of that concert, I realized that not only was I with the wrong person, I was actually with the wrong gender. But it took me a couple of years to really sort that out and try mm. to do it without hurting her, um, which wasn't easy. Um, well, she threw the ring back at me, and of course I got a bit of money back for that. But hey, um, but it, I did come out uh, in, I guess, quite a big way. Some people say you went from being this butch young man to being the campus queen in Camden. Um, you butch, really? I was a geezer back then, mate. 
geezer. <laughs> um, and it was as if you were, because it wasn't as universally accepted as it is today, and it still needs a long way to go, but mm. back then you had to be very, very careful. Um, Polari was still being used, um, which was the sort of this gay secret language. Um, and you could get beaten up very easily in the street. Uh, but there was something incredibly exciting about it. It was as if you were part of a very exclusive club that you had to have a secret password to get into. Um, and it was, it, there was something incredibly wonderful. I wouldn't want to go back to those days because I like the freedom I've got now. Mm. But there was something incredibly exciting about it. And there were a lot of um, very sort of secret clubs, uh, drinking clubs mainly, not, not sex clubs, but drinking clubs in the West End that I got to know and actually got to work in one of them, which was amazing. Um, so, yeah, it was very different back then from what it is now. Um, we, we didn't have these little machines that has got Ralph on top and me on the bottom. Um, that's on the screen. <laughs> that could be misconstrued. Um, and so it was, uh, yeah, it was very different. But time moves on and you've got to move on with it. And um, I'm still moving on. Not quite moving on the dance floor anymore. I don't do that. But, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, like you mentioned, it, it must have been exciting. If, if you could kind of, like, exclude all the bad bits mm -hmm. of, like, being beaten up in the street and so on. Yeah. It, it does feel like nowadays we've lost something um, a little bit, maybe a little bit to drive, a little bit the, yeah. the, the I was about to say lost our balls and the kind of like that gutsy kind of feel to it where we're yeah. on the barricades and so on. Because we now have the thing, we don't have everything, but we have a lot of things today. So we now have a, a generation of young uh, LGBTQ plus people who are kind of growing up and kind of not knowing all those kind of hardships. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's good. They shouldn't have to know those, those hardships. What I think is a bit sad, they, don't, they won't ever know the excitement that I had. You know, the um, first discovering um, place, uh, heaven, for instance, the first time I went to heaven, and it was just one night a week, and it, the, the rest of the time it was called Global Village. Um, and I walked into heaven the first time, and there must have been about two or three hundred guys there. And I just stood there, my, my chin hit the floor, and I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. And the fortunate thing about it was I could get the last train home from Charing Cross. So I just ran out and up the stairs and there, there I was. Um, it was amazing. And then, of course, I discovered back streets. I started discovering the sex clubs of London. Backstreet was my first. And that was, I could not believe what was going on. And... Um, not to put too fine a point on it, I could hardly walk when I came out of there. Oh, gasp. 
How rude. Mm. But hey, you know, look, that's what we do. And um, I got into fetish around about that time. Don't ask me what year that was, but it was probably in the 80s. And I sat, when I found the, 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 uh, the sex clubs and oh, it was phenomenal. It was just out of this world. And I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. So, like, you mentioned, of course, we can't really mention the 80s without the, the elephant in the room. And, and now we're talking about sex clubs and stuff like that. So how, well, you, everyone that was around at that time will have been affected in one way or another. We've had long conversations, especially after the program, It's a Sin was shown on TV. You mm -hmm. kind of decompressed with me a couple of times. Yeah. How was it to be in the middle of that at the time? It was, um, okay, so the, the, the main character in It's a Sin, whose name escapes me, I know. Alexander, Alexander. But I can't remember the character's name. Um, that was very much the attitude. His attitude was, oh, this is rubbish. It's this, it's not happening. This is a load of rubbish. Gay cancer, cancer, can't, it can't be cancer. Um, and it was a case of, it'll not happen to me. And um, his attitude was, I, I have to admit that was very much my attitude at the time. And uh, I was working in, in the late eighties, I was working in a bar called the, uh, um, the King's Arms in Poland Street and loved working there. It was great. But we did, you know, I'd be having a conversation with my friends. Oh, have you seen such and such? He hasn't been in for a few weeks. Oh, didn't you hear? He, he died. And that was a conversation we had uh, frequently. Um, and so it was a horrible time it was no it wasn't a horrible time to be alive you know it was a time that was part of gay history um and um there was a realization with the the government at the time that that hell cow really didn't care and her her uh, bum chum in 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 Washington didn't care either, um, and those two have blood on their hands. They were vile, disgusting people. People want to disagree with me on that. That's absolutely fine. I don't care. But I was there. Um, thousands upon thousands of lives could have been saved if the government at the time had put as much energy into um, vaccination. Um, medication, whatever, that the same with the same urgency as they did with COVID. If you could imagine the thousands upon thousands of lives that could have been saved. But as far as Thatcher was concerned, this is a great way to get rid of the queers. So, um, yeah, I lost lots of friends right up until the uh, the 2000s, the early 2000s, there was uh, a good friend of mine died. Um, and it's, it, yeah, it's part of our history. It's part of our heritage. Um, 
I actually, um, there's an organization here called HIV Ireland, and I was asked if I would be uh, interested in becoming a peer supporter. And the, I did the first thing, which was on Zoom, and you have to go through a whole sort of training program, and you get a certificate at the end of it. And the guy who was uh, administering this, um, I got round to my my time for me to talk to say something, and I said, "Well, it's, I think it's important that people who didn't live through that time understand the history of what happened." His reply to that was, "No, they're not interested in that. They just want to know what happens today." Uh, at which point, I turned off i thought no if this is the attitude then i don't want to be a part of it mm. um because it's it's like saying to um kids today like uh well the second world war happened you don't want to know why or what or anything like that but it's it's a case of if you don't know the history of it you're likely to repeat what happened and we don't want to do that. Yeah. yeah, it's it's always like it's this it's this like balance between knowing your history but not being stuck in history. No. Um, so yeah, absolutely. If if you are an HIV AIDS charity and you're supposed to offer support, you do need to appreciate the history and also educate a bit yeah. uh, about some of the horrific things. Yeah. Because when I watched It's a Sin, I was shocked yeah. because it compared to what how it really was, it was fairly sanitized. Um, it, but it it, it, it 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 was incredibly accurate, is what I can say. I saw when I, you know, I could see my friends in that. I could see me in that, and it was. Um, it was so so accurate um, in, in its portrayal of what was going on at the time, um, and I, I've watched it. I watched it sort of on a weekly basis yeah. on Channel Four. And a while ago, I, I, I binge watched it on on um, on Netflix, and uh, I was a mess when I went to bed that night. A total mess, but. You know, look, it's history, it's my history, and um, we have to move on. We have to move forward. I'm lucky now, all I've got is just the one tablet at night, and that's it. You know, um, and so, uh, I think a lot of people have said, now I can't remember who, but medical people say that people who are HIV positive now are much more likely to have a healthier lifestyle than people who are negative. The reason for that is that we get um, we get a checkup, a full medical checkup twice a year. Um, we have this one tablet that keeps us healthy. Um, and if anything were to go slightly wrong, you're seen straight away. Mm. Um, so we're in a way, we are lucky. Um, you know, I, I was diagnosed in. It's one, amazing how people actually know the exact date and day that they were diagnosed. I haven't got the foggiest idea. It was either 
late 94 or mid 95 one of the two um and um i i thought okay well that's me finished i'm done for end of story uh i remember saying to my partner at the time who actually tested negative which was great um that um i would never see my nephew he, he was only a year old at the time and i'll never see him grow up i won't see him graduate university i'll never see him married um and will he ever have kids i don't know because i'm not ever going to see them and uh well i haven't seen him for quite a few years uh he is very happily married no kids yet get your finger out matthew um but he now lives with his his very beautiful wife in mexico he's very happy and he graduated university he's doing really well for himself i'm very proud of him yeah it's it's uh, I, i can only say that i'm i'm definitely happy you're still around because um out of the people because the way we know each other we know each other through the london gamers chorus yeah. um like most of my friends here in london it's mainly the chorus people i know nowadays um you've seen me at my worst mm-hmm. you you've seen me with track marks you've seen me um well not psychotic but definitely um kind of losing my mind in a way mm-hmm. um and you've never at any point you may you may have given me a stern word but you've never ever judged me no ever no why would i that would that would be wrong um i'm not a religious person at all in any way shape or form but there's one um quote from the 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 bible and judge not and you shall not be judged and that's i i kind of live by that um apart from factor i judge her um well, she's burning somewhere down oh, there so it's fine absolutely god if i was the devil i would have rejected her she was too evil um but no there was only one time you scared me and you know when that was mm, yeah and i said to to our our beautiful friend nick if we don't hear from him soon i'm calling the police i was that scared but here we are now yeah you know we're doing a podcast about being kinky and sober and and uh, you wear yellow so when did you discover the yellow bit um just a segue into that <laughs> I met this guy don't ask me what his name was I haven't got the foggiest idea of a very long time ago and he lived in the east end of london and um he he wanted me to wear the bits I had a leather uh sorry rubber shorts and I had a rubber vest but they were just black no no yellow on them at all so went round to his place and uh we were getting at it he said I need to have a piss so he went into the bathroom and called me in so i did and said oh get in the bath and that was the first time and i thought mm, this is fun <laughs> and uh it kind of grew from there and uh never looked back um that there was uh the oh yeah berlin <laughs> <laughs> yeah a few weeks ago um i met up with a, a a friend of mine who who is 
well, he's more of an acquaintance, but he, he used to live in Dublin. He now lives in, in Berlin. And I, I got in touch. And I said, look, I'm going to be in Berlin for a few days. You fancy meeting up? Anyway, we did. And he is a filthy son of a bitch. He really is. And we had a lot of fun. And, um, and then there was last year in Gran Canaria, uh, during Fetish Pride, and um, they do a boat trip on, I think it's on the Thursday of Pride Whip, Fetish Pride Week. So a crowd of us went on that, and that was great fun. And before getting on the coach to go to the, to the boat, uh, there was this unbelievably gorgeous young man stood in front of me waiting to get on the coach. And got chatting to him, and he seemed really, really nice. And... Um, didn't think anything more of it uh and anyone listening who's been to Gran Canaria and done a boat trip you know damn well it's an xxx boat trip and it's a naked one so we're all on the boat naked and um lots of fun going on and um this lad who I'd been speaking to previously came to the to the back of the boat where I was uh, standing and he's, yeah, oh God, I'm desperate for a piss. And his, the, the, two, um, the two toilets were, were, were occupied. I said, well, just go over the back of the boat. So he says to me, oh, hold my arm just in case I fall off. I said, okay. So I held his arm and um, he started to pee. And I kind of put my hand over under it just to... Um, uh, get an idea whether he would be into that and he looked at me and said oh you're into that are you I said yeah so he um, he climbed back over and um, uh, to, he bought me a drink shall we say <laughs> direct from the tap straight from the tap uh, it's it's how how have you like um, I know you've had bad experience in the past, especially around like, I've mentioned this quite a few times on the podcast, because I think it's, it's and it's also worth re-mentioning, is when you're into piss play, you kind of have to navigate it carefully, because if you get to the wrong tap, tap, uh, in quotation marks, um, if they've taken something, you will get some of that. Um, that actually did happen to me. I, I've told you this one before. In fact, it was you that told me that's probably what happened. Um, uh, there's a, uh, a, a bar in um, the Umbo Centre in Gran Canaria called Noxon, N-O-X-O-N. Uh, great little place. And um, on a Tuesday night, they have a piss night. So i oh, got to go to that. So I went along and um, you pay to get in and they have jugs of water on the, on the bar. And I thought, oh, just have the water. That would do for me. Um I think I did have a couple of cans of Coke, but, um, and I went round the back to, to where everyone was playing and there's a lot of very hot men in there and I thought, this is perfect. And I played around a bit and um, I went back out, uh, had another glass of water and I thought, I don't feel right. And I started getting very sort of dizzy and lightheaded and shaky. 
even a little bit paranoid. And so, and it was just very, very, very strange indeed. I just didn't know what was going on. And I thought someone's put something in my drink. So I, I said to the bar, I think someone spiked my drink. Uh, he kind of ignored me. And so I just got my clothes, got dressed, got out of there, some fresh air, got a taxi, went back to where I was staying and just went to bed. And the next morning I was fine. Mm. And I didn't know what it was until I spoke to you and you told me what had happened. I thought, oh, that is, that makes sense. Um, and now I'm kind of very, very careful about what I do. Um, I didn't even go to the Piss Nights last year at Noxon because I was scared of what might happen. And now I've got to the stage where if I'm in that situation, I will not be the bottom, I'll be the top. Yeah. It's, it's, it's when it comes to that, if, if you just avoid, um, at least you can be honest and ask the person, of course, um, just to advise anyone listening. Um, you can ask the person because most people who do dabble in, in chemicals and so on, they're quite honest about it. Um, so you would just not piss fuck or drink their piss. Mm -hmm. Um, but in any case, like Michael just mentioned, you can be at the top, so you don't receive anything, or you can just be pissed on yeah. and not drink it. Um, so it's, it's a lot of people forget there will be something in it. For example, with GHB, approximately 90% of the GHB you take goes out through the piss. Um, as far as I'm aware, do correct me if I'm wrong, but that is what I think it is. Uh, it's very little the system actually absorbs to make you high from it. Um, uh, crystal meth will stay in your system for quite a while. I was the proud, proud um, uh, host where people would come to my flat and I would offer them some of my piss because it was laced with crystal meth. Wow. <laughs> yeah, was... I, I wonder what people were thinking when they arrived. It's yeah. like, oh, do you want like a booty pump of my piss? Yeah. It seemed like but... the most normal thing in the fucking world to me. Yeah. But I have heard that the pe people who are having um, chemsex parties and rather than spend lots and lots of money on lots and lots of chems, they, they will actually um, store their piss mm, that's and, and just have a top up and give it to their, their guests. Hey. So a completely shift in, in theme. One of the things you mentioned in um, your little blurb is occasionally you will do drag. Can you tell a little bit about your drag side? Okay. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I got managed to get a job in um, one of the gay drinking clubs back in uh, the um, late 70s. Uh, and it was a club called the A&B. Uh, the A&B was started by a, um, a troupe of troupe entertainers in 1947 they opened this gentleman's drinking club and of course people most men in the theater back in those days were gay anyway uh but they needed somewhere safe to be able to socialize uh so a and b stood for arts and battle dress arts and battle yeah. dress so 
arts. This was a, a, a troops entertainment company. Uh, so they would go out and they would entertain the troops during World War II. Um, uh, if you've ever seen It Ain't Half Hot Mum, the comedy no. It Ain't Half Hot Mum, have a look at that, look that one up. And that's basically those people started a club. And uh, it was a wonderful place to, to, um, to, to be. There was a habit in those days of most men having a camp name. So I didn't have one. My boyfriend's camp name was Ivy. His real name was Tom, but everyone called him Ivy. Don't ask me why. And so I was behind the bar and this guy came in and he said, I'll have um, um, gin and tonic. Oh, here we go. Large, small, ice, lemon. Yeah, large, ice and lemon. Okay. And I'll have um, um, uh, a lager, please. Pint half, bottle or draft, blood and stone. Seriously. And he went on and on like this for ages. And it got to the point. I just put my hands up. I said, so what do you want already? And my friend John, who was one of the other bartenders at the back, uh, down at the end of the bar, I said, patience, Miriam, patience. Because I came across all kind of with this kind of Jewish attitude. And um, the name stuck. And then in about 1989... Um, I was at my local in Luton called Shirley's Temple. And, uh, yeah. Um, fun, fun, fun the, name. The landlord was Michael. And he, everyone called him Shirley. Um, and so it was bound to be Shirley's Temple. Uh, and um, anyway, so we just, I said, look, why don't you get Bobby up for the weekend to do a drag show? So he said, that's a good idea. And he, um, he got Bobby up for the show. And Bobby said to me, so you're going to be doing it with me? I said, so this was a drag queen called Bobby Dean. Um, nobody's heard of him. <laughs> so he said, you're going to be doing it with me. And I said, what? me he said yeah you can you can be the the compare uh, okay well okay so do, do you want me in a tuxedo or just casual or hat what oh no you're doing it in drag i said no way i'm not putting a frock on ever he said okay you don't do drag there's no show i gave in and Dame Miriam was born, and she was, uh, the full title is, uh, you were asking me about titles earlier, her full title is Dame Miriam Lipschitz III, and um, I've had a lot of fun with her, she's, she's a, a nasty, nasty evil bitch, um, but I, I can concur, I have met Miriam, <laughs> He is a force of nature. Yeah, and the, 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 
the greatest fun I had with her was doing the awards party at the uh, for the London Gamers Chorus at the Two Brewers, and to to actually host that, to be asked to host it was such an honour. But to actually do it, um, and then be asked the following year to do it again, oh, it was just such a compliment and i i absolutely loved it and uh she still gets a little bit of an outing now and again um so uh she she's tucked under the bed at the moment and keeps fighting to get out but you know i have to keep her under control mm, yeah those 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 queens those dames <laughs> they do want to come out yeah. as as the song goes there is nothing like a dame there's definitely not, definitely not. So you, you've mentioned now that you've two years sober. Mm -hmm. um, how has that been navigating? Uh, you've mentioned Grand Canaria being there, being doing that sober. You've done uh, on occasion the, the pissing with that being sober. Mm -hmm. um, how has it been navigating it? Because there is alcohol everywhere. There, there is, and it's, uh, you know, um, people, uh, quite often say about the Irish being drunks and, you know, they love their booze. Well, what I've found, and, you know, I've been coming to this part of the world since I was five years old. Um, I would say that alcohol in Ireland is no more of a problem than it is anywhere else. Um, I was on Facebook today and uh, chatting to one of the... Uh, the New York lads, and he said, oh, he was on his way to a meeting, and it was just, like, navigating through all the, the, the sick on, the, on the, um, the vomit on the ground, and it's only midday, and, yeah, that's, that, that's New York. I didn't see any drunk people here today at all. Um, that said, uh, you have to... When you do something like this, you've got to put yourself in positions where you are surrounded by it. Go cold turkey, if you wish. Um, mm. When I gave up smoking, when I, I think I was about 30 when I gave up smoking, um, I would, back then you could smoke on the top of a bus, you could smoke in a, in the tr on a train, you could smoke on the underground. Um, you could smoke on a plane? On, a, on an aeroplane. Yeah. So I would put myself amongst the smokers. And it, it was the way I managed to to get get around it. And it was, uh, I think, doing that sort of cold turkey thing helped me with with the, the, the smoking with the alcohol. The great thing now is that there are so many alternatives. And that has helped. Like there's even Guinness Zero, which is really, really nice. There's all the uh, zero zero um, lagers, but you've got to be careful. When I was in um, in Berlin, I, I asked for alcohol-free uh, beer, and um, I had a, a couple of them. And I then looked at it, and it was zero point one five. Now. That actually makes a difference. It makes a difference how you feel. Mm -hmm. I could actually 
feel the reaction of that. Um, although it was a tiny amount of alcohol in it, it was still, you could still feel it. You could still taste it. Um, but I think navigating through the whole field of alcohol, there are so many um, non-alcoholic drinks out there that, you know, even there's a decent carver out there that is alcohol-free and it's delicious. And so you look like you're having a proper glass of carver and actually there's no alcohol in it. It's, it's sometimes it's, um, sometimes it's easier if you're in a group, uh, where you don't necessarily want to say you're sober all the time and explain why, because, but you don't know. I think the thing is when people ask you why you don't know, you don't owe anyone an explanation of why you no. don't drink. Um, that it's no one's business. It's up to you if you want to tell them. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to different percentages of what different countries do when it comes to non-alcoholic drinks, it is different from country to country, mm -hmm. what they deem non-alcoholic. So, so Germany probably thinks 1.5 um, is uh, alcohol-free mm -hmm. because in theory, you shouldn't get heavily drunk on that. Uh, you have to drink quite yeah. a lot to be heavily drunk on that. Um, there's also the, the notion of you're not an alcoholic, but you stop drinking uh, compared to an an alcoholic, where an alcoholic, non-alcoholic drinks may not be a good idea because that can be a trigger. Uh, I've met alcoholics where like, yeah, non-alcoholic drinks are for non-alcoholics, yeah. which is fair enough. Yeah, I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah. I'm not an alcoholic, but I do. Um, I stopped drinking mainly because it would lead me to other stuff. Yeah. Um, but I've been in similar situation with you in Gran Canaria, where I'm sitting and drinking a beer, I drank the whole thing, and it turned out it was a 1% beer. It yeah. won't make me drunk, but it did send me a little bit in a spiral of like, shit, have I lost my recovery? Do I yeah. need to reset my day count? And all that, it's not, of course it won't. It wasn't intentional. I didn't order that beer because it had 1% in it. I, it was completely that. unintentional. Yeah. I remember that incident and you called the waiter over and you said, look, this is not alcohol free. And it's, it's you know, look, if you read it, it says 0.1% alcohol. Um, and he was, he just didn't know. He didn't realize. They uh, were, uh, all credit to them, they were very apologetic. He paid yeah. for the drink as well. The, the, he was very apologetic. He was just not aware. This is yeah. sometimes the problem with bar staff yeah. when they're not, sober they don't know these things because it's not something they will think about yeah. a lot of bars don't think about these type of things and no some bars the selection of non-alcoholic drinks is to be laughed at some bars are better i've even seen non-alcoholic beer on draft once or twice if you go to paris forget it they don't understand the word non-alcoholic um, get heineken zero on draft yeah That's that's the only one I've seen. Um, um, so it's 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 interesting when you go go to different countries yeah. and so on. Um, for me, I've now gotten to a point in my recovery where I feel comfortable drinking a zero point five. Yeah, that is that is my limit. I don't go any higher than that because then it gets into dangerous territory. Um, does my brain boggle me sometimes and think I am feeling it? Absolutely. And then I kind of just have to kind of question where is this coming from and why am I craving a reaction? Yeah. Um, well, I, in, um, in Gran Canaria last year, uh, we went for lunch. Um, 
and it was in a lovely sort of bar where they just so served tapas and stuff like that. It was a very light lunch. And um, I got there after everyone else and it was sit down uh, brought over the, 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 the menu and I said, oh, I said, you got non-alcoholic cocktails. Fantastic. I'll have a virgin colada. So um, anything with coconut in, I love. So I had a virgin colada. It was absolutely delicious. The tapas was fabulous. Um, and I said, oh, can I have another one of these, please? So off she went and came back with another one. I took a good, a big sip through the straw and I thought, mm, it doesn't taste like the other one. Maybe it needs a stir. So I gave it a bit of a stir, had another big swig and I thought, whoa, I said, it's got alcohol in. And that was the first time I'd had anything proper alcoholic. And it just was, it was actually horrible. It, it was a horrible feeling. Like you, you think, what have I done? I've now had an alcoholic drink. I can, do, do I, have I gone backwards? It, and it was, I called her over. I said, this has got alcohol in it. Yeah. I said, well, that's not what I had before. I had a virgin colada. Oh, I'm so sorry. And off she went and brought me a proper one. But that was a scary moment. Um, and this is something I told you before, uh, earlier on, was that um, I started having very, very vivid dreams about going back to having a drink and feeling, oh my God, why did I do this? This is, I've ruined it now. And, um, mm. and then you'd wake up and think, oh, it was a dream, thank goodness. Um, and you said that you, you actually had dreams like that as well? I get them on occasion. It normally, in periods of stress, my brain goes, I know how to fix this. And then I'll get what is referred to as a using dream or a euphoric callback. Um, yeah. And that can either be really pleasant or it can be really, really horrible. It's normally horrible afterwards. Yeah. Whilst it's going on, and it's just something I have to live with, it's, yeah. it's quite pleasant because it, it's not a bad dream. It's almost like a wet dream with drugs. Yeah. Really. For me, it was, very, it was a very vivid and a very bad dream. It was horrible. And I, I woke up in a sweat and thought, oh, thank goodness, it was only a dream. And yeah, just, I don't, I haven't had one like that now for, oh, a good 10 months though so, uh it could have been just something that was at the beginning of the the uh you know the sober stage where uh it was still going through the 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 the, the, the cold turkey i guess and um uh so that that hasn't happened for a while now so uh fingers crossed actually talking about it this evening i probably will have one of those weird dreams tonight <laughs> it, it, it does happen if yeah. i've talked a lot about using or um divulged some of my story really gone into detail it can seep into what you will experience at nighttime because well dreams is just your brain kind of 
disc fragmentation and just kind of sorting things out that's going on in your brain and kind of making sense of stuff. Mm. Um, can they be horribly uncomfortable? Absolutely. Mm. But I also think even as someone who doesn't have identify as an alcoholic, it can be very uncomfortable, mm. especially when you live in, in a world that's surrounded by alcohol. I'm sure you've realized how many alcohol commercials there were when you stopped drinking. Yeah. And still are. Yeah. I mean, back, thankfully now on, on television, there's quite a few of the, the non-alcoholic beers like Carlsberg has a, uh, a, a zero zero um, advert, Guinness zero has an advert. Um, so they, they are press pushing it. Um, but there's still, there's only one bar here in, uh, in Enniscrone that has Guinness zero. Uh, there's, a lot of bars that just don't have it yeah uh, but it's make... it's it's about having these conversations and 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 talking to the bar staff when you're there just kind of mentioning to them that makes them think and sometimes they will get it in for you when you ask them we are coming to the end of the episode um it's been absolutely lovely to have you on and it, well we talk quite often anyway so it, it all all feels a little bit awkward and a little bit weird doing it this way because it's more official uh, but it's actually been lovely to have you on and, and share some of your story with us. Um, so I've been really, really pleased to have you on. If anyone, anyone's listened to this and they've gotten something out of it, can they contact you through Instagram? Oh, contact me? Yeah, yeah of course, of course. Yeah, so I'm, I'm keeping this account private um, so that... Uh, family and friends can't get into it apart from the friends that I would like to uh, uh, get in but if if anyone wants to contact me about my experiences um, what I would like to talk to I know we can't, we've got very little time left but the, we're, very, the, very, we're down to the seconds now yeah, so we are running out going back to the HIV thing the one thing that I did feel um, was uh, survivor guilt uh, so if anyone else has experienced that, I would love to hear from you. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Michael, for coming on. It's been an absolute joy. Ralph, it's been amazing. And thank you so much for asking me. I feel very, very privileged to have, uh, to have done this. And it's been very, very liberating, I have to say. Fantastic. Well, have a great evening. And it was so nice to talk to you. You bet. You take care. Love you. And you. Bye. Bye. So that was Michael from Ireland. It was absolutely joy to have him on. This is the season final. So um, I will now have a break from doing these lives. And, but I will be back. I am already working on the next lineup. So I'll see you in a couple of months, I would say. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for the feedback. It means the world to me. And yeah, just... If you're interested in being a guest, drop me a line and we'll talk about it. So, but yeah, have a great weekend. Be kinky, be safe, be sober, be sexy. Bye.